when I was starting doing printmaking, I didn't expect that my prints are taking me all over the world. Honestly, I've seen most of the countries just because of my art. print friends, and welcome. I'm your host, Miranda Metcalf. This is a bilingual podcast, so if you subscribe to us, you'll be getting episodes in English with me, as well as in Spanish with Ronaldo Hilsenbrano. Together, we speak to people from around the globe about their practice and passions in the field of print media and multiples. This episode of Hello Print Friend is brought to you by Speedball Art Products. Speedball is thrilled to announce that they are extending their range of the beloved oil-based block printing ink. Partnering with Hello Print Friend host Ronaldo Hill Zambrano to give the line a fresh new look, they have launched 10 rich color options in convenient 8-ounce cans. The ink is formulated to be permanent, waterproof, and archival, but provides easy cleanup with vegetable oil. Available now for purchase through Speedball's website. This episode is also brought to you by Legion Paper. Legion is a fine art paper company representing the best papers in the world. They either stock it, source it, or make it. With brands like Stonehenge, Somerset, Coventry, Reeves, Arches, and more, Legion is the best paper resource for every artist's and printmaker's needs. Learn more about the variety of paper Legion stocks at www.legionpaper.com. My guest this week is Mehdi Darvishi. We catch up since his first appearance on the podcast as episode 7. That's right, episode 7. We talk about how the pandemic impacted his practice as an artist who relied on residency to get his work printed. What you can learn from the great artists of the world, coming to the U.S. for graduate school, and what the next few years at the Art Institute of Chicago might hold for him. So, without further ado, sit back, relax, and prepare to get going to Chicago with Medhi Darvishi. Hi Medhi, how's it going? Hi, I'm good, Miranda. How are you doing? I'm really good. I'm really good. I feel like this is like a homecoming for Hello Print Friend. <laughs> you back Hello, on. Print Friend. <laughs> Which way back when, when it was called Pine Copper Lime, I interviewed you before I had even launched the podcast. You were not even in like the early days. You were in like the pre days when it was just this still incubating and yeah I think at that time you have you were in Australia when I talked to you then but you were you were still living in Tehran full-time exactly and yeah and now four or five years on We've been through a global pandemic. You've started graduate school. I've lived on two more continents. Like things have yeah. happened to us. Yeah, so, yeah. I'm going to many trips, many more residencies, and I'm really excited to share some of my experience in those places with the audiences and with my print friends. I'm so glad. Yeah, this is. I can't wait to catch up because we've we've gotten to be at different events together, but. There's nothing like inviting someone to be on your podcast to make them sit down and talk to you for an hour, just focused, which is what I love. So, <laughs> so I'm so glad you're here. And can you just introduce yourself to start people off and let people know yeah. the answer to the questions now of who you are, where you are, what you do? I am Mehdi Darvishi. I was born 
in a small town in Iran. I moved to Tehran, which is the capital country of city of Iran. And for my undergrad, and after that, I lived in Tehran. I established my own printmaking studio in Tehran, and I educated a lot of young Iranian printmakers. Yeah, and now I'm doing, actually, I'm about to start a grad school program at the Art Institute of Chicago. And besides that, I've been traveling to many countries to do residencies and to be able to make prints. Yeah. And you're currently at Gutenberg Arts. Is that correct? In a residency as we speak? Yes. I'm at a residency at Gutenberg Arts. And it's a three-month residency, which is a great opportunity to be able to focus on a good body of work. Wonderful. So we got into a lot of your backstory, your your early art experience, you're coming to printmaking, you're teaching yourself mezzotint on YouTube, all of that way back in episode seven of the podcast. So I don't want to take too much time with it right now, but just in case someone doesn't want to go back and pause and go listen for an hour, Maybe you could just give like a little bit of background on what it was like for you to grow up in a small town and know that you were an artist and come to understand that you were someone who was going to be a maker, who was going to be a creator and and in the world of visual communication. You know, it just happened because I grew up in a city that I wasn't exposed to any museums, art exhibitions, nothing. And I just happened to see an art teacher who was kind enough to push us towards knowing more about the art history, about the artist. He was lending us art history books and cheering us to read more and more and get to know more about the art history. That was just the beginning. So I come from like an engineering family all my siblings have gone to like engineering schools and majors and i was going to go to to do an en- engineering program in computer science too and it was mm-hmm. like a week before the start of the classes that i said no my heart goes towards art and i changed my major wow. yeah from very below zero, if that makes sense. I didn't have any resources and I had no idea what's going to be expecting uh, me. Yeah. Yeah. So I started, I I wanted to do um, painting. We didn't have it at the school as a major, so I had to do graphic design. But I kept drawing and trying some very basic monoprints And that was, I think, the beginning of my career. And later, when I could get into the painting program at University of Tehran, which is the most prestigious program in the country, I was really lucky to be exposed to some good professors and great galleries in Tehran. And obviously, a good printmaking professor, his name is Merdad Khatayi, and I learned basic printmaking techniques like linocuts, and etching and dry point. And later on, on the internet, I just happened to see to, to see a, a printmaking page on Facebook. It was International Mezzotin Festival. Mm-hmm. 
And it was, I think it was in 2013, which I, the first time I saw mezzotint. And there was a store in town that I could buy a mezzotint rocker. But the funny thing is when I got the rocker, I didn't know how to use it. I didn't know I have to move it <laughs> to left and right. Yeah. So I started scratching the plates. I grounded the plate with just terrible scratches and I made a print called it mezzotint. <laughs> it, it was the beginning of my, my mezzotint career. Later, when I was on, on Facebook, I reached out to so many artists to know their ideas, to know, to get some more information about their techniques. And there's a t- wonderful Thai mezzotint artist. His name is Chrysachura Chaisakul. Mm-hmm. And he sent me a link on YouTube to Guy Langvin's demonstration on mezzotint. And it's, it was a nine minutes video. Basically, I, I learned everything that I needed from just that video. And later in 2015, when I, it might, might be interesting that later in 2015, when I got that grand prize in the biennial in Tour-Rivière, and I was there to receive that grand prize, the first person who came to my hotel to pick me up and show me the city was Guy Langvin. Oh, I love that. Yeah. That's so wonderful. What what an arc. I mean, I, I remember when we've spoken before and and it, one of the things that you and I talk about is is this incredible power being an artist is to open doors, to make connections, to wow. live a life that you might you might be like a little less stable than an engineer but the things you get to do the people you get to meet the experiences that you have I mean at least for me like they've been beyond my wildest dreams absolutely Miranda I'm coming from a country that unfortunately because of all the political situation that's going on the passport doesn't have a good value we have to stay in line to get visas but when I was starting doing printmaking, I didn't expect that my prints are taking me all over the world. Mm-hmm. I've, honestly, I've seen most of the countries just because of my art. And I've been just making art. And it's been my art that's been connecting me to people, that's been taking me to all these countries. And that's why how I know you and a lot of my grand, great friends. Yeah. It's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. It's a friendly podcast. And I hope you don't mind that I'm telling some stories. Please. That's what we're here for. (laughs) Last month, I was at Evan Summers studio in Kutztown, Pennsylvania. I don't know if you know him or not. He is a wonderful printmaker. And when I was there, I showed him my Facebook message that 11 years ago, I reached out to him on Facebook, sending him my works, asking his opinion about my work. And after, like, it was in 2019 when I went to China, and they told me that, hey, you're going to share your studio with someone. I hope you don't mind. I said, no, I don't mind. Who's the person? And I said, it's Evan Summer. You know, Uh it's all these crazy stories that I've been following all these artists. And I happened to see them in 
a corner of the world that I don't expect, like the first time that you were in Sydney and I was in Canberra in Australia, mm-hmm. I reached out to you. I knew you on Facebook and I knew that you were the, the print, the director of the print section of Davidson Galleries. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. So that is how I know all these people living in a tiny country with just a very basic internet. Mm-hmm. I reached out to them, I built up my connection, and nowadays some of them are my really close friends. I mean, it just makes me think, like, what would you have done if if you'd been born, like, 20 years earlier, right? Like, without, like, pre-internet, pre-social media, it would have been a different world. Absolutely, that is true. I had no idea what, what I could do, because... I've learned most of the things that I know in just the internet or through connections that I made using internet. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, I'm working on a project. Again, the person, and I'm just honored to, to get to know them and learn from them. In 2019, I was in China, and I heard that the next time, in a few months, Praween Piangchampo is coming to China. I've been amazed by Praween technique. So I organized another trip to go all the way <laughs> to catch Praween and learn uh-huh. from it. Beautiful. I learned. I made a few small works, but I've been waiting for a good time, like my time now at Gutenberg, to focus on everything that I learned from Praween. So now, as a mezzotin artist, I'm shifting on making woodcuts, and I'm so happy with them. Oh, so are you doing that that reduction woodcut yes. technique? Yep. Oh, yep. I'm really excited to see what you're doing with that. Because because Praween, his woodcuts almost have like a mezzotin feel to them, the way his use of light feels like a mezzotin, where he yep. has these forms that are, are really created – with lightness rather than darkness and the, the, the rounded shapes and the softness of them. So, yeah. oh, I'm, I'm super excited to see what you do. Thank you. It looks like everything but woodcut. Because mm-hmm. in woodcut, you know, you see a lot of carving marks and all those textures. But the way that Praween does, and nowadays a lot of Thai printmakers are making prints like that, just the way that he manages the layers to sit on top of each other and and mesh together is a wonderful way that you can't get it in any other technique. But the way that Praween does woodcut. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. That's so cool. So so in, in your story... You, you end up going to university in, in Tehran. And then as we spoke to, you had a good period of your life where you were, you were having the experience, you're going to residencies, you're learning from people, you're connecting with people, you're traveling, getting to do all this cool stuff. Mm-hmm. At what point did you decide, I think I want an MFA. I think I want to go back. Like there's something that school is going to do for me or my for my practice or my career that I'm not getting just by living the artist's life out in the world? Yeah. it's The answer to this question might be a little bit complicated because there are a lot of stuff involved. Pandemic had a really major impact that it cut off everything that I had. 
Like mm-hmm. I was going from a country to another and I didn't have any problem. I had a lot of residencies and exhibitions lined up and pandemic just stopped everything. And I was stuck in my country for a couple of years. It had it bad impacts on me, but it brought up a lot of great things for me too. Like mm. at the time that I, I got stuck in my country because I was traveling because I needed printmaking facility to be able right. to create works, especially that I was working in a really large format for Mesotint that I wasn't able to even print them in my own country. Mm-hmm. So I had to travel to different countries to be able to just keep working and producing works. And, you know, mes- residencies give you sort of a focus that you can make a really good amount of work in a short time because they provide you everything if you're lucky and you have all your time and focus to put into the work and create a really large body of work. So before pandemic, I was traveling with just one plate in my suitcase from Mm -hmm. a country to another. It's my recent piece I traveled, I started in in Iran, and then I went to Australia, two times China, and then I finally could finish it in America. And um, just to go back to the conversation, pandemic cut all those connections and trips that I had lined up, and I got stuck in my own country without being able to travel or to be able to make work. And after pandemic, again, because of the political situation of my country, it was really hard to go to other countries. And the only way that I could travel was on a student visa. Besides all the limits that being on a student visa is lifting from me, is that I feel like I have my own connections in the art world. And I'm always open to more connections that I can make. But on my own, I can only do so much. And my art practice expanded after pandemic. Like I did wood sculptures, I did ceramics, I did glassworks, I did a lot of paintings. And I realized that I'm at a certain point of my career that I might think I'm doing the right thing. But what other people can think of about my work? Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. That so, you're you sound like you were in a point where you'd been working in this really focused way, mm-hmm. but it had only been from your point of view because yes, you'd exactly. just been traveling and really being on your own and, and working with other people, but having kind of an isolated experience of of the working artist. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, at this point, especially going to the School of the Art Institute of Chicago, I know that I'm going to be criticized and exposed to a lot of great artists and critiques that can open up some doors in my life. And that is something that I think I really need because now is my art practice is really expanded. It's not print just print anymore and i have a lot of different things that sometimes are real are related to my prints and sometimes they're not and getting 
to hear and know other people's opinion would help me a lot to to um, sort of advance the concepts or getting to a, to a point that I can put everything together or at least remove some of them and focus on some new things. And I think a grad school should be able to help me with that. Yeah, that's interesting because it's, it's interesting because what it sounds like what you're looking for really is critique. Yes. And and I think that for some people and, and some artists, depending on where they are in their career and their practice, that is something that is scary. Like they're, they're not really, they don't necessarily see it as an opportunity for growth. And I know that like getting feedback can be always challenging, but when you're in a place where you're really open to it, it's, it is such an opportunity for growth. Absolutely. I believe in it. And you know, you, I don't know if it's right to say it. I don't know if I'm, I, I don't, absolutely. I don't mean to brag about myself or anything but if i if i wanted to focus only on the thing that i was doing mezzotint mm-hmm. i could be a successful mezzotint artist mm-hmm. you are a successful mezzotint artist <laughs> i've seen your work i get awards at the international mezzotint festival like you are you are <laughs> thank you but you know Honestly, I didn't want it to repeat myself. Mm. That's why I took the risk. I was uh, I was talking to a friend and they were asking me, so what's your project for the next two years? I said, I still don't know. I might drop whatever I have and start something from the scratch without even knowing what I'm going to do. I start with, it's again, another story is that in pandemic, I got stuck in my hometown. Mm-hmm. I went back to live close to my parents for a few months and then COVID situation and then embassy situation made me staying there for a whole year. Wow. And I went there to start painting and there was one day that a piece of wood was sitting in my backyard. I started carving on it and I ended up making more than 30 wooden sculptures without having any plans for them. So it started from really nowhere And at the end, it got to a point that I can call it a series of work, that it has a title, it has a concept. And I believe that, I I believe, I don't say that it's a must, but I believe that every artist should be, should have the courage to drop whatever they have, take new risks and open new doors. Mm, Yeah, that's such... An important idea because I think that getting any kind of success or recognition, whether that's economic, like your work is selling, or academic, you're getting awards and opportunities, that's hard to do in the art world. And it seems like it would be really easy to just stay in that once once you're once you've found that, it seems like it could be difficult to walk away from it because so much of what artists are told is you're lucky if you get anything as an artist. 
<laughs> that is true, but it's. I think it's always great to have a look at some of the great artists that we know them, mm. what they have done. We have some artists that have done just one way, have been successful, and they've made a really wonderful career. But I had the chance to see, for example, a show of this great artist. Her name is Bourgeois, Louis Bourgeois. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. And it was in Germany. It was a really nice res- retrospective uh, of her work. And you could see the incredible amount of risk that she took in her work, technique-wise, concept-wise, shape-wise, whatever that you can imagine. And then she ended up making those fantastic sculptures that are unique in the art history. Yeah. And I believe that if she didn't take all those risks, and changed and everything, she wouldn't have had that much success and that great quality of work that she ended up having at the end of her lifetime. Mm. Again, it's to me, but it's easy to make a really small safety area for yourself, safety zone for yourself, and just keep just moving inside that little circle. We in Persian we have a story that's really beautiful. It's about the life of a tiny little black fish that has the dream of seeing the ocean while they're living in a tiny pond. Pond. Mm-hmm. And you know, whoever they talk about, they say, "Hey, you're comfortable here. Stay. Come on. Who cares? Who cares what's going out?" What's going on outside? The fish takes the risk and ends up seeing the real ocean and seeing the difference about the scales, the everything that's happening out there. And you're just happy with a little safety zone that you've made for yourself. And after a while, I was thinking that even my work might get even boring for myself. You know, just making those dead bodies and rooms and then mm-hmm. evolving the concept, but how far I could go using just that concept. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to be the little fish in the ocean. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and so something that I'm always curious about with, with any creative undertaking and and when you're in the process of getting feedback about what it is. I don't think it's a good practice to obviously just take what you hear blindly. So any person's opinion, like if somebody said to you, Mary, dead bodies, come on, man, no one wants to look at that. Do something else. I mean, like, like you yeah. don't, you wouldn't take that seriously. Right. Yeah. But how do you, how do you know as an artist, when you're getting feedback, what you feel like is there to shape you in a positive way and what's kind of noise or maybe something that's not helpful. What's that balance and how do you recognize it as an artist? Uh, Again, it's a really difficult question to answer and I'm Mm -hmm. glad that we're having this conversation. Uh, You know, um, to me, uh, first of all, let me go back to my uh, prints. I did a lot in my prints that I got to a point 
that I felt like I'm not being creative anymore. Whatever I do would be repeating the idea that I had in my reduction methods. I don't know if you remember or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like creating a plate, then destroying it in some stages to to make a, make another process that it was referring to the artist's life. Mm-hmm. I got to the point that I couldn't add anything to that. If I wanted to do, I could just do it in a different way. But the whole the idea was the same, the process was the same, and the concept was the same. And that was when I just dropped mesotint and I started experimenting a variety of mediums. So that is why I, I did, again, I went back to try etching, aquatint, woodcut, and ceramics, sculptures, glassworks, because I said, okay, let me at least expand my toolbox first. Then I'll think how and why I need to use a certain material. Now I'm at a point that I know that for the next two years, I'll be making paintings. Mm -hmm. Because I have experienced a lot. I know more than like four years ago that we talked and I was just talking about prints as like just a medium that I'm focused on. And in this, when I say painting, I can involve like multiple place lithography. I can involve woodcuts with it. And it can be like a paint on canvas, real painting, or it can be similar to my interactive paintings. It would be a broad area that I experienced and I picked and choose things that I want to be and I don't want to be. Mm-hmm. And in this, in this process, if someone came up with a suggestion that I could go back to my studio, think about it, and realize that, yes, this is helpful for the idea that I have in mind now, that is the time that I take the critique. Mm. Like if it can kind of feel like another tool in the toolkit or it kind of is like a missing puzzle piece that you're already looking for. It's not someone just coming in and tearing down what you're doing. That makes sense. Yeah. Because of, uh, of course, people's opinion are important, but not that important that I change my whole art career that I spent Mm -hmm. on 15 years and I change it in like a second with someone's, someone's just critique no it it never has happened to me like that never yeah yeah but you know it's like looking at the art history when you go look at the even contemporary artists or even classic artists you pick and choose something from someone can be helpful to make your idea better yes i'll pick it if not i won't mm-hmm yeah as we're talking and trying to find our way through to all these abstract philosophical art ideas, part of the reason why I love talking with you, you'll always get right in it with me, is it strikes me about how I feel like as long as I've known you, you've always sort of had 
a bit of a long view when it comes to your practice. You've always had a a way of thinking about your work, not just in this like limited, like this is what's in front of me right now, but also where, where am I going to be in five years or 10 years? Or this idea of I'm going to go out and I'm going to learn all these different techniques and then see what trickles through for my practice. Where do you think that comes from for you? I mean, it, you've got it, like the, this patience in the practice itself, in the fact that you're you're holding on to a mesotent and you're waiting until you can go do a residency to print it, to get one more layer so you can go do go work on the mesotent plate again. I mean, is it something that's just a part of your personality? Was it coming up with the mesotent process that that made that happen? What what is it about? you and your work that gives you that perspective? I think there are a few things involved. First of all, probably being from Iran. Mm. When I was there, when I was growing up, especially that I I wasn't coming from a, a background that has money. I knew that for everything that I want to earn, I have to work so hard to get it. Even nowadays, you know, in the last two months of my stay close to New York, I have experienced the worst moments of my life plus the happiest moments. Mm. It always comes and goes, and I'm used to it. And if I, if I go back and show you the signing sheet that we have in this studio, I've been constantly coming to the studio, and I've been spending eight to 11 hours a day focusing on my work because I know that I've, I've been going through a lot in my lifetime. And at the end, the only thing that remained for me was my artwork. So I'm always hopeful that my work finds a way to the world outside. Besides that, I look at the artists in the art history not almost 90% of them at least haven't had like a calm life that you get up, you dress, you go to your studio, have your coffee, do some painting, sculpture, whatever, go back to your home and have a wonderful life. Having an unstable life, unfortunately, is part of living as an artist. And I've been witnessed through a lot of tough situations that I've been going through, that those are the moments that you 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 don't you shouldn't back up back out. You stay. You should be loyal to the goals that you have. Make it through it, and it would find you a way that that finally brings you sort of a satisfaction that you couldn't get it staying in your safety zone. I I totally hear what you're saying and that it's 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 what I heard in your answer was that you grew up not expecting instant gratification. Yes. You grew up knowing that you have to work for something that you want and that yeah. it could be something that takes a long time, it could mean a great deal of dedication because you can't just go ask someone for it. You've got to get it yourself. Yeah. 
answer, yeah, another answer to your question is that I I have a definition of an artist in my in my brain. You know, when I think about an artist, I think an artist. We say in Persian, we say is not an ocean with a depth of a tip of a finger. Hmm. Does that make sense? There's there's not an ocean that has the depth of the tip of a finger. The artist is not supposed to be like an ocean with a depth of a tip of a finger. Yeah, yeah. You can, yeah. but you can't be deep enough. So to myself, I try. I decided to focus on every medium that I want for at least a couple of years to get enough knowledge that if you ask me now, say, hey, do you want to make a wooden sculpture? I would absolutely say yes because i focused for at least a couple years and tried all the ins and outs about that medium that material that now i have the confidence to use it in my artwork without lack of ability Mm -hmm. to use the material in the correct way okay so i don't know if i i have mentioned it in my other podcast but I totally believe that technique is like an alphabet for the artist. When you know it, it's just an alphabet. But it's important how you use it. You can be a poet using the exact same alphabet that someone's saying and you don't understand anything about it. Mm. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? That yeah. is how I, I, I say an artwork could have a technique but the technique is not the only thing that are that an artist that an art needs to have the technique is like an alphabet for a poet the way that the poet uses the alphabet is important not just the alphabet yeah yeah that makes total sense yeah it's beautiful so when do you start at the Art Institute of Chicago, and what are you kind of most looking forward to about a new chapter in your art making? I'm going to start in no more than, no, no later than two months. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to start at the beginning of September, and I'm moving to Chicago at mid-August. As again, I say, a few years ago, I moved back to my hometown to start painting, and I ended up making wooden sculptures. Mm-hmm. Now I'm going to the Art Institute of Chicago. I have a really solid painting project in my mind that I'm looking forward to start making it as soon as I make it there. But as an artist, I really don't know what's going to happen next. And I might get there and I, the situation, the studios, Everything, even the museums that I'm exposed to, might have an effect on my art practice that I don't want to do painting anymore. I'm, I always try to keep my art career as free as if anything happened and I needed to change the direction, I don't mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So at the, at the moment, I know that I'm going to be focusing on painting I have an idea that I've been holding on to it, like my mezzotint plates. I've been holding on to that idea for 
maybe seven years, I've been waiting for a situation to be able to start making that project. It's going to be a huge body of work. Mm -hmm. And I'm really excited to start it. But if something happened and in the next podcast, I told you, no, I went there, started making like metal sculptures it shouldn't be a surprise because i'm just saying now (laughs) yeah absolutely do you think that printmaking is going to find its way back into your practice and in in the future project is absolutely going to be woodcut and about four color lithographs because i had the chance to work with professor ryan o'malley i did some experiments it was really good. I did some tiny uh, lithos. And now I have an idea that what I can get from litho and how I can use it in that broad project that I was talking about. Oh, that's really, that sounds really exciting. Had you done litho before in all of your travels or, or was litho just something you worked with, with Ryan? I just started doing litho with Ryan. And that, that was just the beginning. And he was kind enough to help me a lot getting through the process and making and printing and everything. Yeah, yeah. And probably a lot of the print friends know, but there is a way in lithography to do it in a Manian line, like similar to mesotint, that you make the stone black and then you scrape and burnish it back. So I tried a way like that. Then I printed on black paper with black ink on black paper. And I used bleach to bring back the light. Oh, my it was gosh. A really, yeah, it was a really interesting process. That Did that I, work? Did you like yeah. the images on the other side that was successful? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm happy to share them with you. Oh, I love that. We'll have to post those um, when we post the this interview because I'd love to see that. Yeah. 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 I, I I feel like the, the way that you come at the different art media, it's always has this looking for like, well, how can we go farther? You know, Absolutely. you're always like, it's not just like, you're not going to just take <laughs> Medhi, this is how we do litho. You'll be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, what can we do with litho? <laughs> you know, <laughs> that, that is sort of my personality. That is true. Mm. And of course, Ryan's advice has been helping me a lot. But plus that, when I started printmaking, I started printing with white ink on black paper. And for years, I was happy that, hey, I'm doing something special. And just a few weeks ago, I found a book on Chuck Close. And I realized that he's done that way better than me. <laughs> way better than me really it it was upsetting but it was sort of making me happy as well that i was isolated in iran when i was doing that i had no idea what's going on in the world outside it was really before the internet was so common we had to go to the school's lab to be able to use some of their computers with that slow in internet that we had at the time but yes i learned etching and aquatin from my professor i went back home i was thinking and i remember bothering him calling him asking a few questions and i went back 
I had my sketches to start, you know, printing with white ink on black paper. And as you absolutely know, to be able to print with white ink on black paper, you have to do everything in an inverted tonality. So you have mm-hmm. to do negative on the plate. And once you ink it with white and print it on black paper, it would turn to a real image. And that, that's how I started making my prints at the beginning of my career. Yeah. Oh. That's so cool. I'll definitely like have to go look for those because that sounds very, very exciting. What advice would you have for students who are just starting out? We have a lot of young artists who listen to the podcast. As someone who's you, you've done like the working artist gig where you're running around from different residencies, working with galleries, showing things, getting awards being a student, being a graduate student now, what did you wish you knew when you were just starting out in your undergrad after having lived the life of an artist for 15 years? There are a few things that I can mention as an advice. First of all is taking basic drawing really serious i believe that as long as you know drawing you can do really well in any medium you just need to learn some technical details but the the base for making any sort of visual art to me is knowing drawing so once you know drawing you can use it in litho you can use it in etching you can use it in everything The second thing is to read as much as you can about the art history and what's going on around you. I think it's very important to know the art history from the past, like knowing about Renaissance artists would help you to to get to know what is happening and how the art has been evolving to get to this point. And then getting to know what is going on in the contemporary world. Mm. I don't know if you can just come from out of nowhere and jump into the contemporary art. We have some naive artists that were not educated, but there are very little. When you read about the great artists, you see that, hey, they know philosophy, they know psychology, it's, you know, every artist in a different way. I don't, I don't say that every artist is a philosopher. But you see that besides the art that they've been educating, they've been feeding their brain from different sources of knowledge. And that's how when you talk to them, they have something to say that you don't hear it from ordinary people. And then... Another advice that I believe it's very important is that from the very beginning, instead of focusing on exhibiting your work, you need to focus on making your work. Once the Mm. work is made, it makes its own way to the world outside. You don't have to push for it. I love that, that the make good work and people will notice. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I believe in that. Mm. Yeah, that's lovely. Yeah, honestly, some of my works that are being seen now are works that I've done in my undergrad. 
mm-hmm. and now are being are being published by good magazines. And those are the works that I've done. I've I've this series of that I call it uh, the century, which is the the death bodies and everything. Mm-hmm. I remember I started them when I was an undergrad student. And as if you go back to see my older works, you see that I've made just one single image several times to get it to the point that I'm happy with, instead mm-hmm. of just making something and try to push it, to squeeze it into the art world. It's sort of impossible. You can make work, you can criticize yourself, and you can work on the quality of your work. And it gets to the point that the work finds its own way. You don't have to push for it. And I've been convinced about it. Like nowadays, I'm I'm having a great opportunity meeting with people in New York or getting solo museum shows that I didn't ask for. They came, they found my work. Mm. I was talking to a print friend. She was really kind. She was really supportive. But the way that she found my work was really, really interesting. She said, I found your image in a website that they didn't even mention your work. Mm. I saved the image. I Googled it. And that's how I got to know you and your name. And we are now really good friends. But it was, it was really interesting that how a work can speak for itself without you being behind it or even pushed for it. Mm, I love that. I love that because I think that there's so much advice and so much culture right now around like the hustle and around marketing yourself and, and, oh, you just need to write a program that posts on your Instagram three times a day, whether or not it's any good or not. And like that idea that you can kind of skip the heavy lifting of making something good is really prevalent, I think, in all walks of life. And when I started the podcast, I, you know, I I had an idea for making something that like all I wanted to do was make something good. And, you know, now it's been listened to like almost a million times. So, (laughs) but I never, I never had, I never really had this idea of, I'm going to, in this really structured way, like chase this, chase that, get this, network with that person, make sure this person's listening to it. And and I think that for one, when you're not doing that, when you're not doing the hustle yes. in that way, and not that you don't have to like hustle a bit, right? You got to, you, you can't be a hermit, but but yeah, it's it, it, it frees up so much energy for trying to make something good. Exactly. When you're not trying to skip past making something good. <laughs> that's exactly the point. That y- Yes, you want to hustle, that's fine. Make something first that's presentable, that mm. you are at least happy with. And hold on to it for a few months because there's been moments in my life that I'm super happy with the work. I set it aside, I work on some other things, I expand my knowledge, I go back to the work, and I don't want to look at it. It's not representable anymore. Mm -hmm. And I believe that this is how a work can evolve. Like, not 
getting enough of just doing something, not getting happy with just making something. And that's all you have. It's better to have more options to present instead of just making one and try to push it. And then it gets to the point that it's not going anywhere and you don't have any other thing to replace it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Well, we're actually already have almost been chatting for an hour. Oh, so, really? I know. Really? Too much. <laughs> I know. I've always found you so easy and fun to talk yeah, to. So this is like such a treat. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I don't talk a lot with people. And once I find uh, an amazing person that I can have a good conversation with, I really can go for hours and hours without noticing the time. Yeah, I think that's such a gift uh, for meeting people and connecting with them is when I actually, uh, I often take a lot of notes before an interview. You know, I like really research people. I do all these questions and I know exactly like what I'm going to ask them. And I didn't really take any for you because I just was like, we're just going to sit down and it's just going to happen. <laughs> it's like, I know him. This is going to be fine. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad yeah. that it, it went like this because I didn't pre- prepare for it either. Like, yeah. But I, I knew that it's going to be broad. It's going to be about everything. Print will be included. But, you know, when we say we're making art, it can be print, it can be painting, it can be anything, as long as you know what you're using and why you're using that medium. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Totally. Well, Mehdi, where can people find you and follow you and see your work and learn about museum shows and, and just be a, be a fan? Uh, I appreciate that. I am on Instagram and my uh, page is Mehdi Darvishi Studio. Plus that, I recently launched my website. It's still not in a good shape. It it only has just a bit of my portfolio, but I'm working on it. And it's still the same name, MehdiDarvishiStudio.com. Great. Yeah. And I'm, I'm trying to add my sculptures to it. You know, they, it's, it takes a, long, a little bit of a time to take good pictures and make them representable. Sculpture, and- documenting sculpture is a completely different thing than documenting a print. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. So, so I'm working on a website, but uh, I'm mainly accessible in my Instagram. That's Meti Darvishi Studio. Yeah. Great. We'll put links to both of those in the show notes. And thanks so much for letting me steal an hour of your sure. time away from the studio over at Gutenberg. I really appreciate it. And I look forward to sharing this conversation with everyone. Same. Very nice to speaking with you and I look forward to listening to the podcast and hope that the print friends enjoy it too. If you liked today's episode, we have a Patreon where you can help us keep the lights on and get bonus content. Like Shop Talk Shorts where our editor Timothy Pauschak digs deep on materials, processes, and techniques with past guests. Also, if monetary support isn't in the cards right now, you can leave a review for us on your podcast listening app of choice or buy something from one of our sponsors and tell them Hello Print Friends sent you. But as always, the very, very best thing you can do to support this podcast is by listening and sharing with your fellow print friends around the world. And that's our show for this week. Join me again next week when my guest will be Gemma Tricky. 
We talk about growing up in a suburb of London in the late 90s, early 2000s music scene, working long hours in the TV industry, her short stint as a custom curtain maker, being in love with history, and being at the whims of the algorithmic gods as a contemporary artist. You won't want to miss it. This episode, like all episodes, was written and produced by me, Miranda Metcalf, with editing by Timothy Pauschak and music by Joshua Weber. I'll see you next week. Thank you.